Well, we've been talking in this series, What Died on the Cross, and uh, the first week we talked about self-will and how we kind of we kind of die to ourselves when we come to the cross and Jesus invites us into that experience of making him lord and making him uh the one that we follow and he sets the pace for us then um we talked about uh, the death of violence. Pastor Nate talked about the death of violence on the cross and how we are, are set free from violence and our need to, to uh, 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 use our force to get what we want in life. And uh, it's a great message. I encourage you, if you haven't, didn't hear that message, that you go online and hear that message on our website. And last week we talked about the death of shame on the cross, the death of shame and sin and how we are free from shame and sin. And today we're going to talk about something uh, a little bit different, the end of authoritarian power structures, top-down power. Jesus said this, or Paul said this about Jesus. We talked about this last week in our message in Colossians chapter 2, verse 15. Peter said, Paul said, man, I'm having a hard time this morning. Wow. Um, <clears throat> and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing triumphing over them by the cross. Triumphing over them by the cross. Wow. Jesus won. He comes out on the top and he did it by the cross. He did it by going to the cross. He took the humble route. He didn't do it by the conventional way. Conventional wisdom would tell you that if you want to win... You need to take control of the situation. You need to be the one in position of power. If you want to win, if you want to be the victor in the end, you need to be the one that's the most powerful. Use violence. Use intimidation. Use force. The force even of your personality. Whatever it is, you get what you need, what you want. You get to the top by being the best. But Jesus turns that completely upside down. And he says, no, the way to win, the way to live, is to die. You know, Jesus says some crazy things. When you think about it, Jesus said some really crazy things. You know, the first thing, and it really it really threw people off when Jesus was teaching one day, and he said to them, you know, you gotta, if you want to live, you got to eat my flesh, and you got to drink my blood. And that really turned people off. They, they just, actually, the Bible says that many of the people that were following Jesus left that day because the idea of that was just disgusting. And of course, um, Jesus said things like that you have to, if you want to live, you have to be willing to die. If you want to, if you want to be successful, if you want to be mature, you got to become like children. In fact, he said that the kingdom of God is made up of children. Uh, we, we get, we rarely give power or authority to children, but Jesus said, no, they're the ones, they're the ones on top. Jesus said you had to love your enemies. Crazy. Jesus said, don't resist violence. Don't meet violence with violence. If someone hits you on your left cheek, turn them, give them your right cheek so they can hit you there too. Jesus said, forgive those who hurt you. Jesus said, pray for those who hate you. Jesus said, the last will be the first. Jesus said, the least will be the greatest. Jesus said some really crazy things. In Mark chapter 10, 
There's a story there about a man. He was, he was, he was rich. He was young. You can just see him as being the up and coming person in the community. He had, had it all together. He had money, probably had good looks, nice clothes, drove a fast car. Well, not then, but well, anyway, had a nice horse, whatever. <laughs> you know, he was the up and coming kind of guy. And he came to Jesus and he said, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? I've got everything. What do I need to do to have eternal life? Well, Jesus said, well, you know, follow all the rules. Go to church. Follow the Bible. Do the right thing. Oh, I've done all that. I'm so good. I've done all of that. I've crossed all those. I've I've checked all those boxes. And, I, you know, I am really good, Jesus. And then Jesus said, well, if you want something more to do, go give away all your money. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And the Bible says that that man went away sad because he wasn't willing to give up his riches. And Jesus said at the end of that story, he turned to his disciples and he said, you know, many who are the greatest now will be least important. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. You see, Jesus was really pointing out that the way to get eternal life, to get the things that really matter in life, the things that were really important, you had to be willing to take the path, the humble path. And Jesus not only taught this, but he lived it. Now, we take passages like this, even this story about this rich man and uh, Jesus telling him he had to give everything away, and we kind of try to spiritualize those things. A lot of these crazy teachings of Jesus, we try to just turn them into spiritual because, you know, heaven knows that if Jesus came to me and said to me, you know, Michael, if you really want to follow me, if you really want to be... a successful follower of mine, then you need to go and uh, sell your house, give away all your money, and, uh, you know, go and live on the streets. You know, get a, uh, you know, just a shabby little apartment downtown Ottawa and live with, you know, the homeless people or whatever. That's the way you're going to get eternal life. I would, I, you know, I would, I would tend to think, well, Jesus, did you really say that? Or are you just saying I have to be willing to do that? <laughs> <clears throat> You know, we often spiritualize those things, those hard teachings of Jesus. But I believe that Jesus often meant those things. In fact, I know Jesus meant them because Jesus chose to live that way himself. And Jesus proved to us that he would become the greatest by being the least. He, the greatest, the Son of God, the creator of the universe, became the least so he could be the greatest. That was his path to greatness in the world, was to become the least. He already was the greatest, but he became the least so he could become the greatest. Jesus took the humble path to power, and in so doing, he tore down the power structures of this world. He he made a, a, a sham of the power structures of this world, uh, Colossians tells us. He reveals to us that our influence is not on how rich or how powerful we are or how rich and powerful our friends are, or how, uh, who's in power in the government. He said, those things don't really matter. The path to power in the kingdom of God is the power, is the path of admission, of submission, excuse me, not domination. If you want to be the greatest, you become the least. And Palm Sunday is a clear picture 
of Jesus doing exactly that, living out that principle that the least becomes the greatest. You see, back in the, in the, in the book of Zechariah in the Old Testament, the prophet Zechariah, he had a vision, he had a picture, he had imagination of what would really look like for the kingdom of God to come. You see, back in Zechariah's day, like many, much of the time of the history of the Jews and of Israel, they were under a foreign domination. They were under the power of some other, you know, empire, the Persian Empire or, 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 uh, you know, the Roman Empire, they always seemed to be under somebody else's thumb. And it just, it irked the Jews because they were God's chosen people and they thought they should be on top. But they seemed to always be on the bottom. And there were many different times in the Jews' history where they tried to take, you know, um, take, take back what, <clears throat> what was theirs. And it always fell flat because they were never as powerful as the empires around them. They never reached that. They didn't have the population. They didn't have the power. Only in the time of Solomon did they really ever uh, uh, achieve that kind of glory of an empire. And Zechariah, he said in his imagination, in his prophetic mind, here's what he saw of, of, of the coming of the kingdom of God and what it would look like. He said, rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victoria, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim. I will take away the war horses from Jerusalem. And the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Zechariah saw something in his mind, in his prophetic mind, in his imagination. He saw a picture of a king that would come and would really rescue them and bring peace. But he wouldn't come riding a war horse. He wouldn't come in a chariot. He would come riding on a donkey. And Jesus fulfills that picture and ushers in the kingdom of God doing exactly that, riding in on a donkey. Palm Sunday is a clear picture of how the least becomes the greatest. You see, in, in, in the time of Jesus, in the time of the New Testament, when we read the Gospels, Israel is in a very similar situation as they were in the day of Zechariah. <clears throat> Now it's, it's, it's the Roman Empire. It's Caesar that they're up against. He is, he's got his thumb on them. They're paying taxes to Caesar. They're, they're following his laws and his rules. <clears throat> Their religious rules take second place to the ro- rules of the Empire of Rome. And, and they, they want to see this change. And as they, <clears throat> excuse me, are thinking about a Messiah coming, they're not thinking about someone coming on a donkey. In fact, the religious leaders and the leaders of the Israelites are not really, they're they're a bit worried about Jesus. They're worried about the crowds that are coming and following Jesus because Jesus isn't really the kind of leader that they're looking for at all. Yeah, Jesus is a nice guy. Yeah, the the healings are there. Yes, Jesus can feed 5,000 people at a time. Yes, Jesus can do all of these things. But he's really not the kind of leader they're looking for. He doesn't carry a sword and he doesn't ride on a horse. And so they're thinking, how can this be? Bless you. So let's talk about two parades. Two parades. 
The first one we read about in, in the Gospel of Mark and in several of the Gospels, and it's the story of Jesus' procession into Jerusalem. Mark chapter 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord needs it, and we'll send it back shortly. So they went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at the doorway, and as they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing, untying that colt? And they answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. And those who went ahead and those who, who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's where we get the picture of those palm branches. They cut the branches and they were waving them and they laid them down and they let the donkey ride in. Now the thing is, <clears throat> Jesus didn't just ride on a donkey. He rode on a colt. That's a very young donkey. Chances are, as Jesus rode on the donkey, his feet were actually dragging on the ground. You know, he had to pull his knees up sitting on this donkey so that he didn't, his feet didn't drag because the donkey would be so small and he was, he was a full-grown man. This picture of Jesus coming into the city, Jesus would have come in on the eastern gate, on the eastern side of the city, because he was coming from Bethany. Bethany was where his friends, Lazarus and Mary and Martha, lived. And he often stayed in their home. And so Jesus was probably planning to stay there. He didn't stay in the city during the Holy Week. He didn't stay there because he knew that the people in Israel, in Jerusalem were going to, cut, going to kill him. They were trying to kill him. So he stayed outside of the city. So he, when he came into the city that day, he was coming in from the east, and he rode in on a donkey. And Jesus displayed there his, his goal or his way of achieving power by taking a donkey. Now, contrast this what was happening on the western side of the city. Not necessarily at the same exact same time. This isn't something that's written in Scripture, but we can make some assumptions about what's going on on the western side of the city around that same time. You see, to the west of the city is the city of Caesarea. And Caesarea is where Pontius Pilate lived. He didn't live in Jerusalem. He lived on, on the west side or outside of the city in a Roman city. He didn't live in the Jewish city of Jerusalem. That would be uncomfortable for a Roman to live there. And so he lived in the Roman city of Caesarea, which was outside of town. But he would have come in to Jerusalem for the Passover. And the reason for that is because the Passover was a time where there was a chance of an uprising. Because the Jews were known to be a bit rebellious and a bit feisty. In fact, just 140 years or 150 years before this, there had been a major rebellion where a man named Judah Maccabees had come into the, had, had, had rallied around a group of, of, uh, vigilantes and they went and they, they, they took back the city and you can read about it in the, in the Catholic Bible if you're, if you got a Catholic Bible, there's a, the book of First and Second Maccabees. It's not in the Protestant Bible. But the story is there. And these, this was kind of the glory day that these people were looking at. This is when, this is, you know, uh, just to take a phrase, this is when, you know, when, when Israel was great. And there were people there that wanted to make Israel great again. Get it? Uh, 
we all have those times. We all have those times where we look back and we say, man, things were good back then. Things were good back then. And if we could just get back to that time when we had power, when we had, when we had domination, when we had, when we had a, a, our moment in the sun, that would be great. And that's what, that's what these Jews were looking at. So oftentimes around, around um, the Passover, where the celebration was all about freedom and emancipation, this is when they waved their flag and they, you know, it was a very patriotic as well as religious celebration. This was a time when they celebrated their emancipation from Egypt and from Pharaoh. And so it was a time when people were talking about, we deserve to be free. We deserve to have our own country. We deserve to have our own place and, and, and be, be rulers of our own destiny and not be under the thumb of some other authority. And we need, we need a new Moses. We need a new Judah Maccabees. We need a new somebody to come and deliver us from this. And so it was a time where, where there was a chance that there would be an uprising. So it, you know, there was a, there was a high alert time. Do you know that we have a, uh, a system now of uh, Canada National Terrorism Threat Level System. I, I got it up here. Got it there? There it is. See? It can be very low, low, medium, high, and critical. So most days, probably in Jerusalem, things were, you know, medium to high. A violent act of terrorism could occur. Okay? Now, if you're in the U.S., if you ever travel in the U.S. and in U.S. airports, they're always telling you what the, what the level is. It's always orange. I don't know. Isn't it? It's always orange when I'm there. Anyway, maybe it's because I'm there. <laughs> and they go from like green to, or- to red, right? So orange is right under red. But just imagine, you know, that normally on a, on a regular day, you know, a, an act of terrorism, an act of uprising could happen. It might occur. But when Passover came, it would, it would go up to the high. It's likely something's going to occur. So what do you do when it's likely and you're in charge? You bring in and uh, a force that, that sets people, you know, uh, lets people know who's boss around here. So Pontius Pilate, who lives in Caesarea and rarely came to Jerusalem, would come to Jerusalem for the Passover. And in fact, we read in the Bible that he was there at the time of Jesus' crucifixion. He did come for the Passover because it was Pontius Pilate that ultimately gave permission for Jesus to be crucified because he was the highest authority in the city at the time. And so, you know, the the high priest appealed to Herod. Herod would normally be the one, but then Herod said, I can't really say because Pilate's in town. It's up to him to decide. So just imagine Pontius Pilate coming in now from the west side around the same time as Jesus is coming in, preparing for this this season when things could get out of hand. Pontius Pilate didn't come in on a donkey. He'd come riding in on a war horse. And he wasn't wasn't necessarily commander of an army, but Rome did give him uh, 3,000 soldiers. So he would come into the city with soldiers. Now, I don't know if he'd bring all 3,000 with him or not, but he'd bring, a, he'd bring a, a good number of them because he'd want everyone in the city to know as he came into the city, he was here, he was in charge, and if anybody got out of line, his guys were going to take care of it. And they would all come in on their horses and they'd have the best military gear. They'd have the, the, you know, the best military outfits. They'd, they'd be, you know, all lined up and, you know, parading in. Just like one of those, you know, May Day parades that, you know, they have in Russia where they, all the tanks come by and all the, the planes fly over, just showing our power 
to the world. Here, here we are, and we're in charge, and we're going to take charge, and nobody dare try and come against us. Two parades. Jesus on the colt of a donkey. Pontius Pilate on a war horse with soldiers. And who wins? Yeah, it's Pontius Pilate that ultimately says, yeah, you can take him and you can crucify him. But in the end, it's Jesus who wins. Because Jesus defeats the very forces that are behind Pontius Pilate, the forces of death, the forces of hell. Paul says in Colossians that he triumphs over them by the cross. He brings shame to the, to the, to the, the, the powers and principalities of this world that, 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 bring, um, that put people under their thumb, that destroy the dignity of humanity in the way that they rule and they reign. And just think of it now. How many people are followers of Pontius Pilate? And how many people are, are followers of Jesus? Who won? You see, Jesus d- demonstrates to us there on Palm Sunday, coming in, riding that little colt in a ridiculous kind of way, looking like a fool, really, as opposed to Pilate coming in, riding that war horse. Jesus proves to us, he, he doesn't just tell us all these crazy things. He lives it out. He says, you want to be the greatest? Be the least. You want to, you want to be on the top of the pile? Well, take the low road. Because that's the way to win. That's the way that it goes. So how does Jesus' donkey ride change things for us? What does it say to us as people living today not under Roman rule, but in our own world, in our own way? Well, I think, number one, I think there's two things I just want to kind of leave with you this morning. Number one, godly authority is always humble authority. Godly authority is always humble authority. Whenever you hold a position of authority, it needs to be in the frame of Jesus' teaching and practice. If you're given a place of authority in your, in your world, in your life, you need to take Jesus as your example and Jesus' teaching as your example. And Jesus said the way to be the greatest is to be the least, be humble. So <clears throat> whether we're talking about authority in your home, as a parent, as a husband, as a wife, as, if you're an authority in any place, in your workplace, if you're a boss over anybody, then do it like Jesus would do it. Don't, don't lord it over people. Don't use your authority and your power to, to demean or shame or, or persecute people. That's not how Jesus worked. That's not how Jesus lived. And that's not how he he expresses to us that we should live. He literally meant love your enemies. Be good to people. Treat your neighbor the way you want to be treated yourself. Pray for people who make your life difficult. Always take that humble road in places of authority 
and leadership in your life. So we all have places of authority. We all have places. We're king of something. It's king of our home, queen of our home. How do we live in those situations? And how do we treat the people around us? It's hard. It's, it's, sometimes it's a lot easier to say, well, I'm the boss. You're going to do what I say because I'm in charge here. But that's not how Jesus lived. That's not how he, that's not how he lived. Now, that doesn't mean that Jesus was, was, uh, was not weak or that Jesus was weak and that he was letting people walk all over him. I, I don't see that in Jesus at all. In fact, when Jesus stood before Pilate, <clears throat> you know, Jesus comes out as being very strong because he doesn't answer everything. He, he really handles things in a strong way. But he's always very redemptive. He's always looking for the best in other people. He's always looking to bring people up a little bit. If it's, if it's the woman at the well, he, he, he takes time to talk to her. If it's a, if it's a, a child, he wants them to sit on his lap. If it's, if it's a sick person, he wants to make them well. He always wants to elevate the people around him. He always wants to redeem them. He always wants to make their life better. He wants to use his power and his authority to make the life of the people around him better. That's what I see in Jesus. He always wants to bring something, some element of, 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 of uh, grace and mercy and love to the people he touches. Even when Jesus gets angry in the temple, and uh, this happens around this time, when Jesus goes into the day, the thing that, that makes him angry most is that, that, that the religious people are actually making it difficult for people to come to God, to come into the house of prayer. They're making it hard. They're, they've set a price on it. They're making it difficult for poor people to come to God and come into the tabernacle and to share and worship. They, they, that's what angers Jesus. That's what angers him. That's what gets him upset, is that people are not thinking about the people around them. Jesus says, love the people around you. And he lives that out and he practices that. The second thing I think we can take from this is that the kingdom of God continues to be implemented through the Jesus way. When we think about the kingdom of God coming, when we think about what it means for the kingdom of God to be established here on earth, and we know that's going to happen. We know the Bible tells us that one day Jesus is going to rule and reign this whole world. And, and when, when he does, it's not going to be with, an iron, with, with, with the, 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 the powers of war and violence. He says all that's going to be gone. And the way we get to that and the way we live that out is the Jesus way, the donkey way. We ride on donkeys to get what we need or what, how we implement the kingdom. You know, in my lifetime in the world of politics, there's been a push in, 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 um, in amongst the people of faith to, to, you know, to get power, thinking that maybe the way for us to, to, to get people to, um, you know, to, to think more godly, to, to get laws that, you know, that, reflect our belief in the Bible. Maybe it's we got to go in, we got to get power. We got to take power from godless people. And so, you know, in my lifetime, things like, you know, in, in the U.S., the moral majority and other groups and different things like that. But we need to understand that no politician, no Pharaoh, no Caesar, no pilot, no leader or ruler, no elected government will responsible, be responsible for bringing the, the kingdom of God to earth. We can't delegate that. That is our job. 
as followers of Christ. And we bring the kingdom of God the Jesus way by riding the donkeys, by loving the least, by being the least. We do it through, through our influence, not through taking the halls of pride. Not that there's anything wrong with a, with a Christian or a believer, you know, uh, uh, seeking public office. I think that's great when people do that because we have a place of influence at every table. We need to, we need to, we need to let people see that we influence through our love and through our mercy and through our grace, not using the weapons of warfare of the kingdoms of this world. The implementation of the kingdom of God through the means Jesus taught and employed, the last being first, the least being greatest. You know, Christians in history, just take a look at history. Christians make some of the worst political leaders. You know, it used to be that the popes were over the kings of Europe. They were horrible leaders. They had their own army. They killed people. They, they were ruthless in the way they handled things. You know, and, and <clears throat> if you go back, not, not even that far back in, in our history, and you look at, you know, where was the state church of, of the Lutherans in, in Germany during World War II and the lead up to World War II? They had a state church. They had a voice at the table. They were, they were, they were people of authority and power. You see, oftentimes when we, when, 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 when we as even followers of Christ, when we think that the answer for us is to go and get power and to rule to get the way, we fail miserably. And over and over, you rarely find where, uh, where religious people take leadership or take, take authority and power and use those weapons of power to dictate what others should do and how they should live. Rarely has that been successful. I, can't, I really honestly can't think of a, of, a, of a really good example. And see, Jesus avoided that completely. He didn't, he didn't play their game. He didn't go head-to-head with Caesar. He could have. He didn't go head-to-head with Caesar. He just rode a donkey into town and changed the world. Just a, just a little colt of a donkey, his feet dragging along. And he was a threat, a threat to Pilate, a threat to Caesar, a threat to the high priest. He was a threat because he took the way, the kingdom way. He took the way of a donkey. You see, Jesus doesn't change the world by grabbing power from the top. And he doesn't call us to grab power from the top. He calls us to influence with love, with grace, with mercy, not being weak about it, not being not being afraid to share our opinions or or that kind of thing. But he 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 calls us to be like him and and to and to to stand up for what we believe in by riding donkeys. Now I don't know what that means for you, and I don't know how that relates to you. And I may, may uh, offend some people here, but, you know, I see a lot of people, a lot of my friends on social media these days are, <clears throat> are, uh, are, are posting things that say, you know, if we just get a change of government, our world will be a lot better. And there's nothing wrong with a change of government. Don't get me wrong. We, have a, we, we live in a democracy. We can vote them in. We can vote them out. And uh, we all have to vote our conscience on those things. 
But we need to understand that, that hating a government or hating, hating people that are in power or, you know, trying to, trying to tear down those systems, that's not the way of the kingdom. That's, by, by, by attacking and by, by trying to, to ridicule or shame or whatever, I, I'm, I'm not really speaking well here, but we need to understand, we need to say, what, how would Jesus handle this? How did Jesus handle Pilate? He went right into the halls of power, and he didn't say, oh, Pilate, you're just, you just need to, be, you need to be thrown out. He didn't say that about Herod. He didn't, even, he didn't even pay attention to them because he knew where the real power lay. And it laid with him in his humble way of just living out the kingdom. You see, I think the way that we would change our society is just living like Jesus. Not worrying so much about all that stuff going on up there, but treating our neighbor with respect, loving the least, really doing, practicing what we preach, living a life of integrity, getting rid of all the hypocrisy in our lives. And, and that's a challenge. And when we have the opportunity to get on a donkey and ride a donkey, not showing off our power and our elitism. I hope that's something to think about today. I hope that's something just to kind of stir around in your mind and your heart. It doesn't really, it's not something where I can say to you, oh yeah, you know, this is not a, a, a life-changing here, make a decision, but it's, it's a way of thinking about our life and about the kingdom. Do you ride a donkey or do you ride a war horse? Which way are we going to achieve it? Lord, we look around in our lives and we see so many things that we'd like to change. Lord, we can become distressed by things in our world, by the powers and the principalities and the authorities that seem to be ruling all around us, whether they be human instruments or whether they be, be spiritual powers and authorities around us. Lord, we, we, just, we can become so frustrated by those things. We can be frustrated by our neighbors, by the people we work with, by the people in our families. We can be frustrated by, and we just want to take control of things, or we just want to, we just want to get on top of it, and we just want to make things go our way. But Jesus, you show to us that if we want to be the greatest, if we really want to have it, we need to take the humble way. The least will be the greatest. So teach us, Lord, how to love our enemies. Teach us, Lord, how to, to turn the other cheek. Lord, teach us how to, how to really live our lives with integrity, with honesty, and with the reality of who we are or who you've called us to be. Lord, may our lives make a difference to the people around us. May our love, may our grace shine through in every part of our lives, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.